I'd like to invite your attention to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. And we will be reading select passages from chapter 14, 15, and 16. Did you ever run across something that you never knew you needed and then decided you couldn't live without it? Something you never knew you needed. Um, You know, my mom and dad never knew they needed cell phones. So I, you know, I didn't, I didn't ever have a cell phone until after I, I was married. Rachel and I were married when we got our first cell phone, and now we live in a in a society when it's it's more of an oddity not to have one uh, than it is to have one. I remember when they were in a a bag. Do you remember that? Anybody remember? the? It was like a little nylon bag, almost like a satchel with a sling, and you would wear it around your, on your shoulder, like, look like a purse or something. It was the big, had a big pack and a handset with a wire attached to that pack, and it would come off. And it's what the cell phones used to be. Uh, but uh, now we, you know, we've got more, believe it or not, we have more computing power in the phones that we carry around. This is what I understand. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure if it's true, but what I've heard, we have more computing power in the phones that we carry around than they did in the Apollo program that put a man on the moon. Now, that's hard to believe. Microwaves. Could you live without your microwave? We can't live without ours. Ours died a, a, a couple days ago, and we had to right away figure out what was wrong, and thankfully we're able to get that fixed with very little expense and uh, uh, just a a couple of switches and a fuse that had to be changed out, and uh, we were up and going, eating our food again. I remember my grandmother, when she got her microwave, was the first microwave in our family. This would have been probably sometime in the mid-1980s. And, of course, everybody was checking out the microwave, and my mom and, and the aunts and the uncles and whatever, and everybody decided before too long that they needed one of those. You know, salespeople and, and ad, uh, advertising companies, marketing companies, they make their living by creating needs, Convincing people that there is something you desperately need, even though you may not have ever heard of it before. But they, if they can get you convinced that you need it, then they've got you sold. In these passages in John chapter 14, beginning in chapter 14, Jesus begins talking to his disciples about a need that they are going to be experiencing. And he is doing more than just building a need in order to sell them a product. But he is presenting them with an opportunity to receive a gift. The blessed promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's look in chapter 14, beginning with verse 16. Well, let's go back to verse 15. Verse 15 of John chapter 14. If you love me... You will keep my commandments, 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now skip down to verse 25. Verse 25 of John 14. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now skip down to John chapter 15. And verse 26, John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now, chapter 16, John chapter 16, beginning with verse 4, about halfway through verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go... I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's bow our hearts for another word of prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for the promise of the blessed Holy Spirit. Would you help us to live in the reality of the Spirit's presence in our lives? That our hearts and our lives will be attuned to the frequency of your word and your spirit so that we can keep in step with what your spirit is doing in the world around us and with how you would like to be working in our own hearts and lives. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus promised in these chapters, these verses, that he would send the Holy Spirit, the Helper. Why is it that we need the Holy Spirit? Why did Jesus promise to his disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit? The first thing we see from these verses is we need the Holy Spirit because of the temporary physical presence of Jesus. 
the temporary physical presence of Jesus. This is the theme of John chapter 14, where he begins and ends. There are bookends in that chapter. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but chapter 1 says, or verse 1 of chapter 14 says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then we see it again towards the end of chapter 14 in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Bookends in that chapter and in between, Jesus is telling them that I'm going to go away. I'm going to leave you. What do you suppose it would have been like to live and walk with Jesus Christ in his physical presence, his physical manifestation, the actual physical material presence of Jesus, walking and talking with him, knowing uh, that he is there, he is with you, and then coming to the realization that this is more than just another man, but this is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And then to hear him say, I'm going to go away. But let not your hearts be troubled. And Jesus gives them a number of reasons why they are to not be afraid or, or not to let their hearts be troubled, even though he is going away. You know, I like going. I like going places. I suppose traveling is uh, part of my DNA. Some of you that know my family, you know that, that uh, going back several generations in my family, there have been people who traveled, uh, uh, traveling around the country, uh, preaching and singing uh, about Jesus. And so uh, I like going. But, you know, one of the bad things about going places is that going means leaving. And leaving always uh, has a, a, an accompanying sadness and sorrow to it. Jesus said to his disciples, Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You're sad because you're hearing me say that I'm leaving, I'm going away. And I can remember, I suppose, the most poignant goodbye in uh, the, the time that I was growing up as a young boy or a young teenager was the first time uh, that we left Tennessee and my sister did not come with us. We had, uh, my dad and mom started traveling in evangelistic work when I was about 10 years old and my sister would have been about 13, somewhere along in there. And uh, so for about five years, we all traveled together. And uh, when she turned 18, she stayed home to go to college. And uh, we went on without her. And oh, I remember the first time, the, the, the tears and the heartache and the sorrow and how difficult that was uh, that she was staying behind. Going is nice, but going means leaving. But Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away and it is expedient, the King James Version says, it is to your advantage that I go away. And uh, I'm sure they may have wondered, how is it to our advantage? And often in, the, in our own humanity, we might think, well, it would be nice 
to have access to the physical presence of Jesus. Have you ever wondered that? Be, be encouraging. Be uh, just very convincing. You couldn't deny uh, your faith to be able to go in the very presence of Jesus Christ. But do you know something? If Jesus was around in his physical presence in this, in this world, we wouldn't have the same kind of access to him that we do through the Holy Spirit. We would have to go somewhere to get to wherever he was. There would probably be people more important than you and me in line ahead of us waiting to see him. And this is why, friends, Jesus said to his disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will take on a role in this world. Now, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit has always been present in the world. But the role of the Holy Spirit has changed at varying times throughout, throughout history. And I believe this is one of the things that Jesus is explaining and one of the things that we see happening in, uh, on the day of Pentecost that we'll talk about next Sunday is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to his followers even though he is not here in his physical material body. And I have imagined at times, uh, I, I don't know if anything like this happened, but I've imagined in the past those disciples talking to one another after the day of Pentecost and when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And I can just imagine them kind of discussing and, and lingering in the afterglow of the Spirit's presence and saying, you know, this, is really, this really feels a lot like it did when Jesus was around. Maybe those two disciples on the Emmaus Road, when they were walking and talking with Jesus, and they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he walked with us and talked with us and opened to us the scriptures? I can imagine them later, after the day of Pentecost, having that same kind of sense of the burning within and saying, you know, this is just like it was when Jesus was here. And friends, this is why it is so necessary that we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives is it makes Jesus a, a reality in our hearts. You say, oh, pastor, you can't touch him, you can't feel him, and that's true, you can't. But there is something that we, we have called the witness of the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul teaches about it in the book of Romans, that God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And, and I suppose the only way that we can explain that is that it is an inner knowledge, an inner awareness that God is present in your life through His Spirit and is making Jesus real and is making His Word come alive and you, you just have to experience it to know what it's about. Amen. We need the Holy Spirit because of the temporary physical presence of Jesus. We also need the Holy Spirit to keep us steady. Now that picture is not supposed to pop up there yet. But I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't have my slide fixed up like it's supposed to be. I'll tell you about that picture at the end or, or in just a minute. We need the Holy Spirit to keep us steady. 
John chapter 16 and verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away or to keep you from being offended. And the context of this passage is one of trouble. It is a context of trouble. And Jesus begins telling his disciples, his followers, about all of the trouble, all of the difficult things that they are going to experience. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You see, Jesus knew that there would be a time of testing that would come to his followers, to his disciples, when following Jesus would not necessarily be easy. We all like to think, and I like to think, that following Jesus means a life of blessing. Amen? Don't you like blessing? Yes. So, I like, you know, we think everything is going well and the bills are paid and, and uh, there's, you know, there are groceries in the cabinet and, and the refrigerator and all. Just everything is good and, and you feel good and, and uh, your spirits are high. And, and you may think, and sometimes in those kinds of moments, you may say things like, my, aren't we blessed? Isn't God good? And that's true. That, that would be true. Yes, God is, God is good. And when those things are the case, yes, we're blessed. When the bills are paid and there's grocery, there are groceries in the, in the cabinet, in the pantry. But friends, is it any less true when we're struggling financially? Maybe we're not sure where the next meal is coming from and we experience times of trouble. That's when it's good to be able to go to God in prayer and sense that his Holy Spirit will come near during those times and let us know that he has not left us alone. He has not abandoned us, but he is still with us in reality. His presence is there. And when those things would come into our lives that would shake our faith to its very foundations, we have the blessed Holy Spirit to help keep us steady. Praise the Lord. In these words uh, here where Jesus uh, said, I will send the Holy Spirit, a number of times it is uh, the word helper is used. That is the word paraclete or parakletos, the Greek word. And uh, it's been translated in various ways. Uh, some of our Bible versions or translations have translated as comforter. And I suppose in some cases that's a good translation. But uh, a good brother, Ralph Earl, who some of you uh, old time Nazarenes know who Ralph Earl was. Uh, he wrote a good book uh, called Word Meanings in the New Testament. And he said probably the best word to use for paraclete or parakletos is the word helper. And that's the word that our English Standard Version gives us. Verse 26 of John 15, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. And friends, we have a helper in times of trouble. That is our solution. When circumstances come into our life and our faith may be shaken and wavered,
wavering, we can look to God and His Holy Spirit will help to keep us steady in those times. Now, this is where the picture comes in. I like the word picture that the Apostle Paul gives us in Romans chapter 8. And this is a picture that that fits that word picture perfectly. Uh, In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says that the Spirit helpeth us or helps us with our infirmities or in our infirmities. Now, I'm not a Greek expert, but it's my understanding that that word translated as help or helper is a compound word made up of three words. And that's the way I do know that's the way Greek worked in in a lot of ways. Classical Greek would be if they didn't have a word to say what they wanted to say, they would just put a few words together and make a new word. And this is a compound word that means together lift opposite with. Lift opposite with. It's the idea of having someone who will get on the other side of whatever your load is, whatever your burden is, someone who will get opposite you on the other side and help you lift and carry that burden. And friends, there are sometimes when life is too heavy that we cannot carry it on our own. And in all times, we have a spirit, the spirit of God, who never leaves us and makes Jesus real. He is a wonderful helper, praise the Lord. We need the Holy Spirit because of the temporary physical presence of Jesus. We also need the Holy Spirit to keep us steady. We also, third, we need the Holy Spirit to apply spiritual truth to natural man to apply spiritual truth to natural man. Did you notice in those verses that we read how many times the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of truth? We see it in chapter 14, verse 17, also in verse 26, and then it's in chapter 15 and verse 26, and then again several times in chapter 16, verse 8 through 15. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. And the reality is that all of us have been affected, all of us are still affected by the fall of man into sin. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 18, the Apostle Paul says that our understanding has been darkened because of the fall of man into sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about those people who have their minds veiled so that they are unable to perceive or understand the truth. And this is all a, a, a result or a side effect of having lost the fullness of the sanctifying presence of God. The moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they lost that fullness of God's sanctifying presence, their minds became darkened and they could not reason as God intended them to. Their emotions, I believe, were affected and also their, their ability, if they could think clearly, their, their power to respond, their willpower was affected as well. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, these words, beginning with verse 10, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? 
So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man does not have, simply does not have the right set of lenses to look through in order to accurately understand and perceive spiritual truth. And it's quite something to see someone when they have their eyes opened to see and understand spiritual truth. I mentioned a, a few moments ago traveling in evangelism, and I, one of the things that I remember, my dad uh, was always a strong holiness preacher, preached uh, on the doctrine of holiness and entire sanctification and things of that nature. And I can remember being in numbers of churches and overhearing people as they would walk by uh, to, to shake hands. And, and they would say, oh, preacher, we haven't heard preaching like that in a long time. Or maybe something like this. I've never heard holiness preaching like that. Now, we knew the pastors of those churches where we were at, and we knew they were good people. And I expect most of them were preaching holiness out of God's word. What is it that makes a difference? It makes a difference when God, by His Spirit, shows up and turns the light on. You see, friends, it's not enough for us simply to hear or read uh, or take in God's Word. I, I've known numbers of people who have read and studied God's Word as an academic exercise, but it didn't do anything to change their life. Or transform them. But when God's Spirit shows up and turns the light on and helps us to understand that this is something more than just words on a page, but it is living and it is active and it applies to my heart and it applies to your heart. And then we say, oh, I never saw that before. I never understood that before. The Bible says the entrance of thy word giveth Light, And I believe that is the Word of God plus the, the inspiring presence and illumination of the Word by the Holy Spirit. There is a star in the middle of our Milky Way galaxy that's called the Pistol Star. In October 1997, scientists at the University of California and the Space Telescope Science Institute released a photograph that was taken by the Hubble Space Telescope of this massive, unseeable star. Are you paying attention? Okay. They got a photograph of an unseeable star. As I mentioned, called the Pistol Star, it stands near the center of the Milky Way galaxy. It burns as bright as 10 million suns, that's 10 million of our suns, and it is as large as the entire space inside of the Earth's orbit, okay, so you found the space that the Earth takes to orbit around the sun 
that, that star is that big. Massive, massive star. Nevertheless, neither the human eye nor telescopes can see it because it is shrouded by an impenetrable cloud of cosmic dust. Then how, you may ask, did scientists get a photograph of this star? Well, I'm glad you asked. The truth is, the picture is a computer-generated image based on measurements of infrared rays which are not visible to the human eye, but are detectable with scientific instruments. And then computers then converted these infrared rays and waves into colors, and as a result, we now have a picture of the biggest star in our galaxy. So imagine a colossal star blazing 10 million times brighter than the sun, but we can't see it without special equipment. But if we have the right equipment, we can see it. Well, friends, in the same way, we need the Holy Spirit to apply spiritual truth to natural man. And the Holy Spirit gives the light we need. It's the set of lenses we need in order to perceive what God wants to say to us through His Word. And and uh, it is what we need in order to, to stay steady in a life and in a world that tends to knock us around and knock us off balance every once in a while. Could I just tell you kindly this evening, friends, if you've experienced the Christian life that way, that you find it hard to get on your feet and stay on your feet, that what you need is the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? to learn to tune in to God's Spirit, and He can empower you to be more with Him than you could ever be on your own. And we need the Holy Spirit to make real to us the presence of Jesus Christ. And we say, well, how, how does that work? I, I can't explain how that works. I know if Jesus were in, uh, in here in His physical manifestation, if He were on the world... Uh, on the planet, we'd, pro we'd have to go somewhere special to see him. There would be people in line in front of us. But because of his spirit, we can access God's presence anywhere. And it's not just you and me here in this building, but it's the people in the churches across town and the people, the Christians that are serving Jesus on the other side of the world. All of us are enjoying the presence of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. 